Welcome to the B-Side Boys Podcast. Who do you think you are? I am. An Iowa rugby podcast. Okay, I didn't know that. Well, now you do. With your host, Mr. Gray. <laughs> Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> and Billy V. I am untethered and my rage knows no bounds. And now featuring Gimli. Really? <laughs> can you feel the tension in the air right now? I know I can. I can feel it all the way down in my plums. Introducing our international rugby correspondent, Eric Nichols. This is the adult tour, which means you can drink if you want, and we can say whatever the hell we want. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Rotor Epoxy, the premier epoxy company in Iowa. You need your floors looking good. You need to redo the entire shop, the locker room floor, the fire station, the man cave. Those are the guys to call. There's an infinite amount of floors that you would possibly mess with here. So whatever you need done, they can do some wicked ass designs for you. Whatever you got going on, just get it done. Get a hold of them. Infinite designs. 100% satisfaction. Rotor Epoxy. Find them online now. So there I was in the Wombat Den for another episode of the B-Side Boys podcast. We have a real special episode for you today. It is the last episode of season two, the last episode of 2023. A very special interview with Cope, Brent Wheeler, you might know him as, the head coach of Southeast Polk Rugby, a UNI alumni, Eric Nichols and Gimli went over to his house for, uh, like I said, a very special interview. And then after that, I have some news and notes and some updates. And yeah, thank you so much for being a part of our journey in 2023. And we look forward to giving you more content, more rugby stuff in 2024 as we look to continue to grow. And it all happens because of you guys and you guys being a part of it and supporting us and wanting to be a part of the rugby community. So thank you, everybody. Uh, Let's get to the interview. There is some breaking news in this interview as well. So listen closely. A lot of great things happening in Iowa rugby in the high school level. And so, yeah, take a listen. Take it away, guys. Hello, folks. This is Gimli uh, here remote with Eric Nichols. We are in uh, not the Wombat Den, but we're in uh, Cope's Den. Out in, in Runnels, Iowa, with a special interview brought to you by... I don't know who it's brought to you by. We'll figure that out later. This interview is brought to you by Tighthead Brewing Company. Tighthead Brewing Company is a craft brewery located in Mundelein, a suburb of Chicago. Their brew pub is a neighborhood institution where friends and families can meet up and enjoy great music, wonderful company, and the best beer in town. Since they opened their doors in 2011, they've poured their heart and soul into every glass. Stop in and taste what they're talking about. Also, if you are not from Chicago, make sure you go to your local grocery store, liquor store, restaurant, bar, pub, whatever. Ask the bartender, ask the owner, ask whoever runs the place for Tight Head Brewing Company beer. They distribute through Dahl Distributing. You can drink it in Iowa. It is found in Iowa. And oh yeah, the name Tight Head. Bruce played rugby for 13 years, mostly as a Tight Head prop. Bruce is the owner, founder, and master brewer. Enjoy Tight Head Brewing Company. Uh, Eric, how are you doing? Pretty good today. 
we uh, yet again we're just down to one mic so the audio quality might be lesser than you're used to but probably exactly what you expect uh, Ryan Gray and Philly V are uh, they're absent they're truant and they won't be showing up just uh, Gimli and Eric show today so the B-side boys more like the D-side boys today but we are lucky enough to be joining you as Gimli alluded to in the lovely home of Brent Wheeler Newly, um, newly named to the UNI Men's Rugby Hall of Fame this year, the head coach of the Southeast Polk Sevens team, UNI alum, Des Moines alum, rugby aficionado, and all around just friend to all. Cope, how you doing, bud? I'm good. I'm good. Right on. So, Cope played at UNI's United alum. That's how I met him. I actually met you the first time I remember at a referee course in the Des Moines clubhouse my freshman year of college, the day after the cocktail party when they served chili. That was when we first met. <laughs> so for those listening that aren't aware, like I mentioned, Brent Wheeler has been the coach of the Southeast Polk High School Sevens team for their entirety. Is that correct? Yes. So, yeah, we'll just kind of turn the mic over to you, Cope. Maybe give you an opportunity to give your rugby journey, how it started, how the sport found you, and uh, we'll just go from there. All right. Well, I uh, started playing in 1997. Jeez! Uh, I know. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, no, I, uh, I went to school at uh, UNI and was walking to the weight room, and a guy named Roy Ganson um walking next to me and uh white boy roy was his nickname because he couldn't catch <laughs> um so roy ganson's walking next to me and we just start chatting and uh he brings up rugby to me um and i'm like what's rugby i have no idea what he was talking about and by the time we got to the weight room we turned around and went to suds and and met some of the other rugby guys uh and went to two practices Went and played in my first game versus Iowa and was instantly hooked. Mm-hmm. Um, it, w- it was a really, really good experience. Played at UNI for uh, three and a half years there. Um, had, a, had a great, great experience at UNI. Um, lifelong friends. Uh, president of the club for a while. Um, Really good experience there. Ended up graduating, didn't have a job yet. So I uh, jumped on a plane, went to New Zealand, um, got a job bartending, and played rugby for New Zealand Marist um, while over there. Um, And that was a completely different eye-opening world. The the rugby world over there, it's, it's hard to explain when... You know, you're you're sitting there at practice, and uh, there are four guys that play for the Auckland Blues who just showed up to go run around today, you know, or run you over that day. Um, my very first practice, uh, the practice ended with a tackling drill, lined up four tackling dummies, defenders stood on the end goal line, and uh, ball carrier, if he came your way, your job was to stop him from crossing the end goal. Uh, of course, the guy came my way. Uh, I pumped myself all up, like, I'm going to show these guys I can hit, I can hit, I'm going to hit this guy, I'm going to hit this guy. And, and of course, the guy came my way. 
Next thing I know, I'm literally laying flat on my back with both hands straight up in the air. And I've got a cleat mark on my stomach and on my shoulder. He literally just ran up my chest. And I'm laying there with just my arms sticking in the air. And this, this guy came over and stuck his hand out. He said, don't feel too bad, mate. That's the starting tight head for the Auckland Blues. <laughs> oh, wow. Jesus. <laughs> so they set me up. They, they, they did it on purpose to see how I'd react and everything. And I jumped up and said, bring him again. They all hysterically laughed at me and said, okay, let's go get a beer. So the Auckland Blues, that's the Super League team in New Zealand, which is like pro rugby in New Zealand, just for those listening that aren't aware. At the time, it was a Super 12. Oh, see, yeah, that's so other historical fact. Uh, <laughs> yeah, though, no, uh, Joan Alamo was playing in the league back Ooh, then, wow. and uh, I worked at a bar called Left Field in New Zealand, and the uh, owners were Mark Ellis and John Kerwin. Oh, no um, Both like really famous all blacks and it was the bar that would host all of the super 12 teams when they would come to Auckland to play the blues and it had an upstairs area that had a separate bar like it was kind of a private area and they would always make me work that because the guys thought it was funny that an American came to New Zealand to play rugby um, <laughs> and, and they liked to, to give me a hard time uh, met some really really cool players George Gregan um, some some really cool dudes uh, in that. Yeah, so I had a couple notes I wanted to get back to the UNI days, but um, being a massive fan of the All Blacks, we'll just sit in this little pocket for a minute if I can. So when you played at New Zealand, I knew you went there, and I suppose from what I had heard just from Drunken Alumni Weekend was like, you went to New Zealand, worked at a bar, as you said, but I just figured you played for like a festival side or something, but now you're saying that at least at times you're mixing with some pros and some uh, guys of high notoriety. So I was just curious, who were the really notable guys that you met? You mentioned George Gregan, that's the nine from the Australian national team, is that right? Yeah. Who, who's the who's who of who you saw met or kissed or touched or whatever you did? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you have to understand that Marist is a very big club. And so, yeah, I guess there's like six sides. Okay. Um, I, I played social side. I'm, okay. I'm not here to, to promote myself as anything <laughs> that I wasn't. Uh, no, I, I was nowhere near uh, like their their top club side is, is as high as they come there. Um, but no, it, it was nothing for um, J.K. Junker when um, he he's from Marist. He, that was his home club. Oh, okay. um, and he's from Auckland. Mm-hmm. Um and he would he would just regularly show up to practice, and he'd come run around with social guys. Yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, I know I know one day it was like this massive event. Uh, Todd Blackadder showed up. No shit. And that was cool. That was super cool. Uh, he didn't cool. he didn't run around or anything, <laughs> but this was this was when he was still the All Black captain. Mm-hmm. Um, this was 2000, 2001. Yeah. Um, so it it was just you know here comes. Jesus and cleats, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, but th- that sort of thing happened all the time mm-hmm. and it was a big, or I'd be sitting there working in a bar at the bar and I'd serve somebody. And one of the other guys, he'd like, do you know who that is that you just serve? I'm like, no. He's like, oh, he's got 23 caps and he blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no <laughs> fucking clue who yeah. this guy is. <laughs> so I've talked about this a couple of times and I'm not trying to I'm, again, I'm not trying to deep dive too much. I just have such a huge New Zealand rugby fan boner right now. I'm trying to keep it in my pants. <laughs> but we've talked about how um, the the path for success in New Zealand and some other countries is different than the United States. So not to get into that whole conversation, but so I've never even heard of the club you're talking about. And mm-hmm. 
my thought was, you know, most of the guys that I heard in interviews from New Zealand that make the All Blacks, they play for a school, like a boarding school usually. They get, like, picked for, and then they make their NPC team, like their national, like the Lions or whatever, and then they get picked for the Super League team from that. So where does this club fall into that hierarchy? Um, they have both. Their, their school side or their primary side is New Zealand Marist, but it's also a club side in um, – I don't even know what level they are uh, right now, but it's uh, it's just a Auckland Catholic school, okay. I believe. Um, I'm not Catholic, but my host parents were, so <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of made me uh, that guy. But yeah, that that's just how that fits in. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the 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 New Zealand path is so much different than ours. The the one of the most amazing things I ever saw when I was there, I was there in the World Cup in 2011. And uh, we're at my uh, my host family, my cousin's house, and they had just had a baby. The baby's maybe one years old, could just kind of sit up and do kind of like that drool on themselves, like wiggle thing. And we're, we're sitting here watching a, a World Cup match. And his dad is sitting there, and the kid's sitting next to him, and he's taking a rugby ball. And he's picking it up, and he's putting it in the kid's lap. And the kid would push it away. And dad would just subconsciously just kept picking it up, putting it back, picking it up, putting it back. And the kid was like pushing. kid can't walk. Mm-hmm. But here's dad, just rugby ball, rugby yeah. ball, rugby ball, rugby oh, ball. Shit. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, it's no joke when they say that rugby is a game everywhere else in New Zealand is a religion. Yeah, and I was going to kind of touch on this. I just was listening to uh, a podcast interview with Finn Russell, and he played against Richie Mwanga in some international, like, high school level kids from different countries in Scotland would go play in New Zealand. Anyway, um, they were asking what the difference was, and he said something along the lines of players that come from New Zealand from 1 to 15 are just like the game theory and what to do in every situation is just their rugby IQ across the board is so much higher than anywhere else in the world. Did that seem evident when you were there? One time I was working at the bar and a 91-year-old old lady came in, sat down across from me and spent 40 minutes telling me very well thought out and reasoned argument as to why the All Blacks coach should be sacked. <laughs> <laughs> and it was... Uh, who was the coach? Ah, uh, you know what? I don't even remember. Right on. But yeah. but grandma was not happy with him <laughs> at all. And and you hear stories about all blacks. You know the old lady across the street. They lose a match. They'll come over and knock on their door and and chew them out. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and they get a lot. Of, I'm sorry, ma'ams. You know. But uh, but yeah, I was I was just sitting there. And I'm like, wow, this this old lady knows more than I will ever know about this sport. Oh, what a cool experience. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna backtrack just for a minute, just to uh, kind of set the stage for everyone and just so I can talk about you and I some more. When you were at UNI, um, I mean, you just kind of brushed through like we told you to, mm-hmm. but what level of success did you play with and were there any notable players there? Did you guys have a stronghold in your state, region, country? What kind of success did you have while you were playing there? Um, sure. When I first started playing at UNI, we did not have a coach. 
Um, we were captain coached. Um, it was just kind of a bunch of dudes who got drunk together. And, and when we came to town, it was hide the women and children. Um, <laughs> and we just had a lot of really good athletes and, and we won a lot. Um, and then about my second year, some of us got together and we just kind of said, Hey, we, we need to improve this. You know, I think we can be really good. Um, and uh, we, we found ourselves a coach. Um, our, our first coach there was name of Jim Angsman, um, played, uh, I believe, for the uh, Valkyries in, or in uh, Texas. Hmm. Harlequins? I'm not sure. I, I don't remember. Sorry, Jim. Um, He's a big listener, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I really don't know. Um, but he actually brought in structure and a game that went with the athletes we had mm -hmm. um and then all of a sudden guys are showing up to practice and guys are taking it seriously and then all of a sudden guys aren't going out on friday nights it's because it's a game day the next day um also helped that when i first started at uni it was only one level of college rugby in america it was d1 mm -hmm. um and we would make the playoffs every year and then we would go lose to iowa ohio state by 50 points right um and then, then there. yeah yeah <laughs> and then then they we we went to d2 when the changeover happened and were able to play more comparable uh, opponents um just School size, you can't at you and I. You can't compete with a school that has fifty thousand undergrads. Right. I mean, it just it just doesn't work. Um, but then once we started playing against schools that were roughly our size, uh, it, everything really blossomed uh, and, and um, grew from there. Uh, notable players, um, some of the better players I played with. Uh, uh, Josh Lohmeyer was an incredible player. Um, played with him at Des Moines as well. Uh, John Kelly was, uh, they were both athletic above our skill set at the time and <laughs> kind of grew, grew with it. That's but then, yeah. yeah. But then we had guys like uh, Michael Haro and, and Ryan Parsons, and uh, um, we, we had some very, very high end players. Uh, players on the team as well and later uh in my my senior year my last year we started operation steel paul um <laughs> which we literally had a name for it uh there was this skinny guy that was playing rugby for uh iowa falls at the time named paul emmerich and uh and it became uh michael haro myself's goal to to get him to play for you and i um and it worked and uh and that's uh yeah that's history. The rest is history. Yeah, yeah. So, so was was he and was Paul enrolled at UNI and just just playing for Iowa Falls? Yes. Yeah. He had just transferred to UNI from from Central and was playing for Iowa Falls. Iowa Falls uh, got a hold of him at a tournament, and uh, you know you meet some guys and they're cool guys and you get along with them, and and then we're like you know we're we're pretty cool too. <laughs> <laughs> So for for the listener, let's just say someone doesn't know who Paul Emmerich is. Why don't you? I think you're probably the most qualified to maybe give his quick little bio. Um, yeah. If, if ah, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, first off, he owes everything to me. I was gonna I mean, say, but, not, don't we don't need to talk about his character? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, he, he, I used to call him the the lump on my couch. Uh, no. Uh, uh, for for those of you who don't know, Paul Paul started. Uh, uh, 
playing at Central, went to Iowa Falls. Uh, you and I got a hold of him, um, started making some All-American teams, started going to some some higher-end stuff, and then got picked up by the U.S. Eagles. Mm-hmm. Uh, then after that, he ended up getting a pro contract in Italy, uh, was the first American player to ever, first American backline player, I, I apologize, first American backline player to ever uh, go play professionally overseas. He had a like 11 year uh, career playing professionally overseas. He played in uh, three World Cups. Uh, he was the most capped back uh, ever for a very long time. Um, you also have to understand that had he been a Kiwi and played in three World Cups, he'd probably have 120 caps. Right. Uh, being that you played for the USA, we play so many fewer games, so many fewer matches, uh, that, you know, 57 caps for an American is, is incredible. I mean, it's, it's, sure. it's yeah. astronomical, uh, mm-hmm. especially at that time. You know, there, there are times then where the Eagles were playing four matches a year. Yeah. Um, so it's really hard to, to build up that big cap resume. Um, but, but yeah, then, then Paul went on and did his coaching thing and everything like that. So, yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> I'm trying to keep on par because there's so many caveats that I want to yeah. dismiss, but Paul did, and he did play for the, correct me if I'm wrong, but he represented his country in 15s and in sevens. Is that right? Absolutely. I think he's got, man, I think he's like 27 tournaments under his belt. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, and these numbers are completely. Uh, <laughs> keep in mind, I've had a lot of concussions, guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't Google them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, he he had a great, great sevens career. Um, dynamic, dynamic player in sevens. He mm-hmm. he was, and he he he'll tell you today that if he could have made a living out of just playing sevens, he would have just stuck with sevens. Mm. Because really he fun. enjoyed it more. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, do you think? We've kind of talked about this a couple times on the pod. You know, it's called the B-side boys for a reason. They call me an expert. I think I'm more of like a D-side boy. But is it – so the World Cup just ended and you have the Olympics coming up in Paris and you have all these players, whether it's Michael Hooper or Anton DuPont, all these international guys going to sevens, presumably to try to get a medal. And I know because I follow the All Blacks a lot, there's a lot of professional guys that started in sevens and then transition to 15s, Artie Sevilla, um, Rico Iwani, all these other guys. Was it – and maybe you don't know, I'm not, not that you should, but was it unusual for a guy like Paul at that time to represent his country in 15s and in 7s, or did that happen a lot? Um, at that time, not as strange as it is now. Okay. Because now, you know, sevens camp is year-round. I right. mean, you're, you're living in San Diego the whole time. At that time, uh, you know, it's a hard to get released from your club to go play sevens. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get released from your club to go go do the sevens thing or whatever. Um, there weren't a whole lot of guys going back and forth, mm-hmm. um, mainly because, you know, the, the sevens is such a commitment. Now, also, back then, though, they would say, okay, we'll take you for these three tournaments, mm-hmm. uh, where today that, that's absolutely not going to happen. I right. mean, they're, they're completely different different setups now. Yeah, this, the sevens game has grown a lot more than that. Okay, so fuck Paul. We'll talk about him later. <laughs> he, he's, <laughs> we will get him on. I don't want him to take over your spotlight. So after you and I, New Zealand, now you're back. Come yes. back to Des Moines. 
actually, when back to the states. Actually, when I got back, uh, there was a team that started up in Altoona. I'm from Altoona. It was called the Altoona Wolfpack. Oh no okay. shit! And yes, and they they lasted for three years. Uh, their first year, they won the C division in the All Iowa. Oh uh, yeah! <laughs> yeah, woo! Hey, hometown hero. What year uh, is this this would have been two thousand oh two. Okay. I believe, and I, I played with the, 9/11. Okay. yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I played with the Wolfpack for two years, um, and then uh, the the team folded. I mean, it was no practices, just show up, play on Sundays, social and club. totally social. Um, great guys, uh, uh, had a good time with it. Um, and then just one night, randomly, I was out, and uh, Chad Wamsley, who was the captain of Des Moines at the time, saw me and and chewed me out and. Uh, told me I'm coming to Des Moines practice that next Tuesday. And I'm, so I showed up, and uh, and then I ended up playing for Des Moines for about a decade. Um, mm-hmm. Played for Des Moines. Um, great, great experiences there. Uh, good guys. Um, and then after my playing career kind of wound down, I was doing some stuff for the Des Moines Rugby Foundation, and a, a guy came in asking about, uh, starting a high school sevens league and they needed people they needed coaches they needed everything and I the first year I wasn't ready to truly commit but um, I, I am a certified referee and so I, I was refing for him just donated my time on on Friday nights to go ref for him and then the next year I was gonna wanted to start coaching and I was supposed to start coaching uh, East High School um, but then there was rumor that there were some guys at Southeast Polk wanted to go, and I wanted to do the town I live in as opposed to drive yeah. to East, and then Jeremiah Johnson took East, and then the Southeast Polk thing fell through. Um, then the next year, uh, the next year I uh, uh, got with Jason Christensen. Um, Bill Reed actually introduced me to, to Jason Christensen. He's a Des Moines old boy. Both yeah. of them are Des Moines old boys. And he said, okay, I've got a meeting set up for, for rugby guys. There's going to be uh, a room full of kids. I've got these really good athletes recruited for you. And I'm like, awesome, right? And I showed up to the meeting, and there were two kids there. <laughs> uh, one of them was Jake McNeese, and another kid was even skinnier than Jake. And I'm like, I am in real trouble. Uh, then uh, so there's a problem with skinny guys playing rugby. Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, not in sevens, um, <laughs> but this guy was really skinny. <laughs> I was like, oh, he never showed back up, but uh, but Jake ended up being an incredible player for me. Uh, but then the first practice came, and uh, a young man named Zach Warren showed up. Jake showed up. He had gutted the the good athletes off the soccer team, uh, all three of them. Uh, <laughs> and the soccer guys showed up and then the, Zach Warren had showed up and Zach's like, I want to do this. And I said, look around, dude, we need, we need players, mm-hmm. right? We need, we need bodies. And Zach went out and, and brought in uh, a couple of really good athletes. And I'm like, Oh, this is great. And then I said, okay, after uh, a week of practice, I said, okay, we need to do this fundraising. We need to sell these pizza cards. And the next practice, nobody showed up. Oh, <laughs> yeah, because nobody wanted to do any fundraising. Uh, and Zach said, give me the cards. And Zach went out and sold 90 cards by himself and, and did the entire fundraising for the entire team. Wow. Um, so we 
we uh, got some more guys out. The night before my first game, uh, I had six players. Mm. And this is totally irresponsible of me. It was irresponsible of the league, yada, yada. Called up Chris. I'm like, hey, I've only got six. We got canceled tomorrow. He's like, no, figure it out. Mm. And I got two more kids to show up, did a 15-minute tutorial of what rugby is before the our first game. But we ended up winning. And then yeah. we played our second game. And we won that. Well, once that happened, then word started getting around the high school and kids started showing up. Mm-hmm. And then we won our next two games, mm-hmm. and more kids showed up. So by the end of the season, I had 17 uh, good athletes, committed, committed yeah. kids, uh, and uh, we we ended up uh, lucking out and winning a state title in overtime uh, that first year. Um, and then once uh, once that started going on, the next year I had 40 kids at the meeting. Holy shit. All of them. Coming up, oh, hey, I'm an all-state football player. I'm a state champion wrestler. I'm a... At the time, to, to win sevens in, in Iowa in 2012, you just needed good athletes. Yeah. It, it really was. Uh, there just weren't very many good athletes coming out. That has changed. <clears throat> that has changed dramatically. But at the time, if you had the fast kids and you had the strong kids, you were going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took full advantage of that, and I kind of, out of just dumb luck, the whole thing caught on fire and, and really built. Mm-hmm. So did uh, did twelve years at at Polk there coaching. This is not uh, public knowledge yet. I've told the the kids and a lot of people know, but I have never really come out with it. But last year was my last year. Oh, I am I am retiring um, as as a Southeast Polk coach. Well, hey, kudos to your great career. Kudos and breaking news. Remember, this was this was broken by. The D side boys, the B side boys. <laughs> You're welcome, world. Uh, but I was going to jump back in real quick. When you started getting the wrestlers, I remember you had a lot of wrestlers. Did you had to, to develop a relationship with like the wrestling coach, or how did you navigate like school politics, or did you have to deal with any of that at first, or was it kind of? Like, you know, I know other teams have had issues with football coaches or athletic directors or or so on and so forth, you know, or even just soccer coaches or track coaches, you know, other rival sports that might not want their guys playing rugby because they're not they don't have the knowledge to understand what rugby is or they might think that it's not whatever their reasons, maybe injuries or whatnot. Um, did you have any of those issues? Uh, I had an absolute toxic relationship with the athletic department and the football team the entire time I was there. I had kids pulled out of class by the football coach and shoot out for 45 minutes. I had a meeting where the AD and the soccer coach brought in my players and told them that they had ruined the integrity of soccer at Southeast Polk by playing rugby, uh, even though the the coach had given them permission to play originally. Um, And then the, the the kids didn't like soccer anymore and they quit. Okay, and yeah. so then it was, there was a whole uproar. Uh, now my, my personal, my faculty advisor, uh, Julian Papayan, uh, Nico 
Felice's mom. Uh, she was excellent. She was absolutely great. Jason Christensen was the wrestling coach, former rugby player, a great player in his own right. Uh, back in the day, he was very supportive, never gave me a hard time, you know, but I would always work with him. If there was, if there was mat time, I'm not having practice during mat time. I mean, Uh that's, that's just stupid. And you have open conversation. Um, yeah, I had, uh, Track coaches asked me to hold practices later so we could share players. But then once we were sharing players, it was, you need to quit rugby. And, um, no, it was a, it was a constant, constant battle the entire time. I don't know how many of my, uh, kids, I mean, these are kids you get pulled out of crafts and threatened that you'll never play football again. Um, if, if you don't, uh, get in line, um, really unfortunate. Uh, I, I feel that, that, sevens is a no-brainer for linebackers d-backs yeah. running backs wide receivers any d linemen anybody sure i mean it, it's the, the athletes yeah ideal football like sport that gives the kids a break from football it's a symbiotic relationship yeah now now you got the most of your Hunting. football coaches that yeah Hunting. most of your football coaches just want your kids to specialize and play year-round i think specialization is the devil it is is the absolute worst thing for children kids should be kids they should have fun there they should know what sport they're playing by what time of year it is they should not be football practicing five days a week starting in june oh shit yeah um you know have some fun even michael jordan quit basketball to try to play baseball again i mean shit (laughs) (laughs) and i mean that went well (laughs) it's good uh, sports center fodder (laughs) exactly um, but, but yeah, no, I, uh, this year, um, I've, I've just been, yeah, I, it takes so much to coach, uh, and to coach a good team. Um, the, the amount of hours you put in is just overwhelming. Uh, but your, your success is directly related to what you, the time you put into it. At least it was for me. I mean, I, every situation is different. Um, and, uh, been been setting up Zach Warren to take over the team here. He's been coaching with me for about five years now since he's gotten back from life. He's going to take over next year, and uh, I, I truly believe he's going to do a better job than I did. Oh, okay. So. Perfect. That's awesome because I had two things I wanted to say, and your successor is one of them, so you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> so I like that. Now I can't remember Jesus what Christ. the other one was. Uh, do we have any musical interlude for a second? Do, 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 do. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. It is. I'm blanking. Concussion conversation. Right. That's why you. Uh, so I got a thick Neanderthal skull like me. <laughs> you got nothing? What was I going to say? Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, given the status of not necessarily lumping. Iowa Youth Sevens Rugby in with your plight, but given how you started and where you have come, for one, congratulations on the greatest career. Maybe how many straight? I mean, I know you're not a you're a humble guy. I've known you for a long time, but how many straight titles did you have? Well, just we started out, we won eight in a row. Yeah, and then uh, Casey Hansen came and was a big thorn <laughs> in my side. <laughs> two years of no, I uh, we won eight in a row. Uh, COVID gutted us. Mm-hmm. COVID killed us, uh, and we really struggled coming back after COVID. Um, 
and uh, got second our first year back after COVID. Didn't deserve to be in that championship game whatsoever. <laughs> uh, just pure pure dumb luck. Uh, second year, we, we had a good team out of COVID. The second year out, uh, we never lost a game by more than one try mm-hmm. the entire season. But it just didn't turn out for us at the end of the year. And last year, we finally took those kids that we got out of COVID and developed them. And uh, um, we had a lot more multiplayer year kids on that team um, and had a great season last season, went undefeated again and, and won it. Um, and that was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an arrogant jerk. I, I wanted to quit on top, so I did. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Good time to go out. So the state of... Iowa high school rugby has done nothing but grow from 2012 until now, I suppose, arguably. And what we like to do, what I like to do on this show is just kind of play the pundit devil's advocate. What can we do to make it better, in your opinion? And is there a space for 15s in the landscape of high school rugby in Iowa? If so, how, how does that look? What does that look for you? Or what, what's your opinion on that? Um, as far as the the landscape of it, what it what it would take to get us better, it's coaches. We need more coaches. Um, we've got kids. We 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 just need coaches. We need good coaches. Um, guys that you know, in, investing two days a week into it doesn't work. You got to treat it like a real sport. Uh, you know, there, there's no D or for a football team that, that practices once a week. Right. 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 Um, and you just can't teach it. And then you get, you got to treat it like a real sport. Uh, we need guys that can commit to that um, and commit to learning. It's, it's a constant evolution. Um, that That's where I feel our, our biggest uh, uh, problem is. Our biggest drawback is just guys who know what they're doing to, to teach these young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, it's at the end of the day, it's not really about coaching. It's about the relationships you make with these kids. Uh, and, and kids need, uh, they need a challenge in life. They need, it. We, we live in a society where uh, bulldozer parents remove every obstacle out of, out of their children's way. And sports is the one great equalizer in that mm-hmm. sports. The, you know, mom can't, make you score that try right right you you have to earn it you have to go out and work for it and go and you know and and there's also lessons to be learned in losing there's also lessons to be learned in in working really hard for something and not getting what you wanted Mm -hmm. um that that's life you don't always win um and that that's not a bad bad thing to be in either uh situation to be in i mean nobody wants to be there (laughs) but but you do learn something from it and, and adversity you know kids kids rarely see adversity this day and uh, day and age, and, and it doesn't hurt him at all to, to end up there. Yeah, yeah. So, do you do you think that fifteens could be part of the? We could mix that in the pot. We had uh, a couple weeks ago. We had our hundredth episode, and a bunch of old you and I boys came. We drank a bunch of beer, and Tyler Daly showed up, and we were all bullshitting about, you know, do we start transitioning to tens to try to make the conversation easier? Which I thought was an, an interesting point. I'm a purist, I started playing, Gimli and I started playing 15s in high school. I've always liked the sport of 15s more, I thought, even though I'm probably much more suited for 7s. But do you think that that's a, that's a transition that can be made in Iowa? Or I mean, I just, I'm just curious of your opinion. I'm not, yeah. asking, for, I'm not asking for answers. 
Well, if anybody's seen me, um, I'm not a sevens player. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, <laughs> I've watched many a Turtles Bears competitions, and you you did great back then. Well, yeah, that that was poetry motion for sure. Uh, but no, we're we've been working on a 15s team. Um, I uh, handed down the select side to Casey Hansen okay. a couple of years ago, yep. um, and we have been playing uh, 15s in the summer. Now the problem is is that I've always run into with the 15s end is you you have about three months that is uh, sevens orientated. I I love sevens. I think. Everyone should play sevens. I think especially forwards should play sevens. Uh, I think it's a great learning, teaching tool, especially for beginning guys. The the reason uh, we went with the sevens model, and I wasn't the one who thought this up. I'm not that smart. Uh, but uh, we wanted the not to be club model. We wanted to be school-based models, and you want the you want the rivalry of a Southeast Polk versus Ankeny. You want a you know Dowling versus Valley. Mm-hmm. That that's that's the ideal, right? Um, and you want that. The idea was to get it going with a Friday Night Lights sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a great model. A lot of these small schools, there's no way you're getting 28 kids together to create a 15s team. Mm-hmm. Now you get done with your sevens team, seventh season, the kids scatter, and if you go to a big school, June 1st, you're starting football practice. Mm-hmm. And football coaches do not like uh, your, their kids doing anything other than football. That was that was the big challenge we ran into that. Now, we have been playing some, but we do lose a lot of our really good athletes, and some kids are just a little tired of it after – three months of playing sevens, they don't want to jump into a 15s. Sure, and maybe, you know, maybe the specialization gets into that too. You don't want to do only rugby. So, yeah, there's some challenges. I, I like to think that it can have its place in some point, but it is, uh, you know, just by not only numbers, but um, just numbers of positions, sevens is a lot easier thing to uh, orchestrate with kids, especially kids all being newer. And I don't know, the 15s, will remain a mystery it sounds like you guys have your foot in the door and you guys are doing some good work which we appreciate yeah uh and the idea mainly with 15s would be just what casey's doing you go in the summertime after the sevens league is over and you give them two matches you give them three matches you don't you, you just there's not enough time with all the other sports and everything to do a full full-blown 15 season this is all my opinions by the way uh but you <laughs> Co- copyrighted them, copyrighted yeah, you just give them a taste Mm-hmm. You just give them a taste of it and just a little bit. Now, if you look at the college landscape right now in Iowa, Iowa State, you and I are packed with players that came through this Sevens League. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't get enough of them. I, I, the, the attrition on losing kids is, is really, really rough to me. I call it the 10% rule. Yep. Seems that 10% of them that play in high school – go on and play in college and of that 10 percent 10 percent go on and play a men's club right so you need a hundred high school players to to get one men's club player um and everybody knows what's going on with men's clubs uh, in the state we need more we need more play i mean more guys playing um that's uh that's a hard thing yeah there's a a massively untapped resource of 18 to 22 year old former football players in the united states that I don't know. That's not that's not the the answer to that won't come tonight, but I'm with you. It's 
the keeping mm. guys in the sport for longer has always been the struggle. Yeah, and I think even, you know, like you said, collegiately it seems like, at least in our, since Eric and I left, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s, it's definitely gone up. Notoriety's gone up, exposure, level of competition, you know, organization. But at the same time, I feel like there's still, like you said, a lot of 18 to 22-year-olds, ex-football players, there's a lot of 18 to 22-year-old ex-rugby players that played in high school or played a little bit of college and didn't finish or maybe you know you don't call mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This isn't for everybody. Maybe you go to trade route or something. Um... You know who does that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then those guys are out there, and they could play for men's clubs. You know, and there's there's so much untapped talent. Like you know, we often talk about if you did a poll, how many guys live in the Des Moines area that have played at least one season of rugby? There's probably a, a, over a thousand. You know, at least that are still Absolutely. age age capable, like you know, to yeah. play. Um, and so I know one big thing. Mr. Gray and some of the other guys, the Wombats, West Wayne Wombats are working on is a, a Wombats Academy starting this spring where they're going to run a clinic mm-hmm. for high school kids. And it's more, I believe it's, Dan, don't quote me, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's going to be more 15s focused mm-hmm. to help Casey find more guys for the select side and for, and for potential 15s team, especially since he's up north and not down here in central Iowa as much. So I think that's that's the goal at least is to get kids that want to play more rugby have that opportunity. In eastern Iowa too, right? Yeah, I think Frano is talking about doing the same thing in the Cedar Rapids area. So so if we could just continue to there were the pipelines kids you know, kids need the opportunity. You're gonna talk if you're gonna talk you gotta have the microphone in your hand, remember? But wow. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, the goal is for is keeping rugby moving forward. I do like your opinion. I guess I hadn't quite thought about it the way you said it, where, if, you know, maybe we need to focus at least in the moment less on let's change the gears and redirect and make 15s a sole focus and just have a group of the group of players that want to be there have enough exposure to 15s and with with the skill set and the knowledge they have from sevens, when they make the next step to men's club, college, whatever, they have a stronger foundation to make the the transition more palatable for them. Seems to be like a good route. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously a huge proponent of the sevens league. Uh, 
it it's working. When when we started the Sevens League, we had like twenty eight kids sipped in the state of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Our our max with the high school league. I mean, we've been close to a thousand before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're 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 rebuilding. We we took a hit over COVID. We lost some teams, but the funny thing is, you know, we lost a third of our teams, but the play on the field went up. Because it was the organized teams and the well-coached teams that survived, mm-hmm. so the actual play has has gone up considerably. Yeah. And also, you know, if you go between 2012 and 2022, this the athletes you see walking around these tournaments, night and day, different people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would never see kids like this back back when the league started, and now they're they're everywhere, just massive, built, athletic, uh, good kids. Maybe each team used to have one or something. Yeah, if even. Uh, And just simply, sevens teaches you how to pass. It teaches you how to tackle. It teaches you what a ruck is. Uh, It's it's a good starting point. It's a good starting point for people who've never done anything before. Yeah, good good, uh, foot in the door in rugby. And, you know. Hoot in the door. Yeah, and that's putting it pretty lightly because of the level play that has become. So kind of transitioning here, you know, I like what you said about when the the amount of teams went down, the level of play went up, and that kind of transitions to what has been going on in the MLR. You know, we've got our B-side boys, uh, our group chat, and anytime an MLR team comes up folding, which has happened twice now, the New York Iron Workers folded. Yep, and the Toronto. And the Toronto. The Arrows. The Arrows. And I said, just throwing out a, a thought, it's not good for a team to fold ever. I mean, less rugby in any context is not good, but perhaps maybe the MLR as an entity expanded too quickly and it'd be better to have less well-organized clubs than more less organized clubs. So not to get into the ins and outs of the MLR, that's not what we're here to talk about, but just kind of a transition, you know, maybe on your thoughts on U.S. rugby in general, not to really put the spotlight on you or, or put too much pressure on you, Cope, but, you know, the U.S. did not make the World Cup. I think that's the second time ever, the first time that I can remember since I played. Do you just have – I'm just looking for a blanket idea, nothing specific. You know, what can we do to make rugby a better product in the United States at the higher at the higher level? Because I think you've done as much or more for the grassroots level than anyone else. So to go back to the MLR. The MLR does not support USA Rugby. The MLR is here to make money. Uh, they think the key to making money is bringing over a bunch of foreigners and not developing any U.S. talent. You have, I think last season there was, what, 27 South Africans alone in the league? Mm-hmm. You have teams that have 14 of their 15 starters, all foreigners. Mm-hmm. Not U.S. Eagle capable players you're not eligible the mlr does nothing for usa rugby and they are then they don't hide it they say we're here to win games and it's easier to bring over uh, a never was or has been kiwi than it is to develop a u.s player or a 41 year old mayanano yes yeah Yeah. or a in center that you have to turn to prop because he showed up 315 pounds (laughs) (laughs) you know and then and I, I know there's a slight hope now, like the Hounds are doing and the Saber, uh, Saber Cats are doing with the Academy Clubs, mm-hmm. 
which like we interviewed a uh, gentleman Aiden Farrell um, who play, was from Wisconsin played middle school and high school 15s and 7s in Wisconsin went to Iowa Central got his degree at Iowa Central played for the Tritons and then uh, went to Chicago and joined the Lions and he played for the Lions and while there in this last year he's made the roster for the Hounds and he's he's been he's played some games this fall but they have an uh, academy squad but I think it's only three teams in the MLR that have academies so it's, like you said it's not even the whole ML you think that would just be given and every single club would have a huge academy where they could feed from and they could bring all the kids in and it's not just the MLR America as a whole are addicted to foreigners we think that's the the answer um, when Dion Mikesell went to Lindenwood starting his freshman year, he was the only non-foreigner on the team. College rugby is fraught with teams that are overrun with non-U.S. eligible players. Therefore, even at the college level, we're not developing players. Now, the story you just told, those are few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be every player on the team. Right. Now... I always had a philosophy, and Paul and I talked about this when we were at the Sabercats. Why are we bringing over a, a former All Black and promoting him? Because mm-hmm. guess what? The three of our asses are already going to be in the seat anyways. Yeah. We're going to watch anyways. That does not get us there. You know what brings in the other people? Find that guy who played for Texas mm-hmm. that didn't make the NFL. Get his family there, get his friends. You put him on the billboard. Yeah. You, you go down south, you know, you go to, to Georgia. You go. The, people are fanatics for, for college football. Mm-hmm. You find a way to get him in at wing, make him your poster boy, and then you're digging into a whole new advertising base. You're yeah. digging into new seats, new people at the games, buying, buying merchandise, buying drinks, buying tacos. Um, so it, it's not just the MLR. It's America in general. Now, for some reason, we think as USA Rugby, we'll be able to compete with the whales of the rugby world by picking up the castoffs from the minnows. Mm-hmm. If, if we're trying to build a team out of guys that washed out of Samoa and Fiji, like they didn't make the Fijian national team, but yeah. they're on ours, and yeah. we're going to take them and compete with South Africa? It's not going to happen, and and it's the foreigner addiction. We need to we need to develop our own. I think that's a really good point, and it's actually I don't like it because it hurts. Because I think I have the foreign boner more than anyone else. I love watching international rugby, um, and I get just Kiwi rugby. <laughs> no, I watch it all. I just root for the Kiwis. Shout out Matt Speedy. He doesn't listen, but. <laughs> <laughs> But I do think it's a good point. I mean, so what is the point of the MLR? I mean, I don't think it's too off-color to say that every entity has to have the bottom line to make money, but there has to be some kind of change. I fall into the trap of why don't we get, I mean, this would be pre-Australia, but why don't we get Eddie Jones as a coach for the national team because he has this great resume. It's like, well, maybe a big name looking for a paycheck is not what the U.S. needs. We need to we need to get more things done in-house, and that's from the top to the bottom, and I think it's a really good point. I just wonder 
you know, how do we how do we do it? I mean, is it is it more is it more emphasis in the high schools across the nation? Is it more emphasis in the MLR, which as you to your point is a money making endeavor? I mean, that's that's the golden question that we kick around in this podcast all the time because I think that you have brought up opinions that we have not brought up before and I really appreciate. Well, the when I first started playing, there was a foreigner rule in USA Rugby. If you're playing rugby in the States, even at the club side, I, I believe it was four foreigners could be on the field. You could have five on the roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, if If... Sorry to interrupt, but are you you talking a rule by USA Rugby, not a world rugby rule? USA Rugby. Yeah. Yeah, when when I first started playing this a million years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if if I was the grand poobah, and we're also talking about things that are well out of my depth and about money or whatnot, but I... That's the Yeah, I I, to talk out of my depth, no problem. (laughs) Uh, So I think that every MLR team should have a foreigner rule. It's okay to bring over a couple that help develop. Yeah. But when they take over the entire squad, that's not doing anything for us. Uh-huh. That's that's letting the the foreign company come over and cut our corn and then and then ship it off. Uh-huh. Right? Uh, we we don't need that. Now if I was the grand poobah, I would have a foreigner rule in the MLR and I would also have a rule that you cannot have a 9-10 combo of uh-huh. foreigners. Uh, those those are your your biggest skill possessions, one that need to be foreign or develop the most yes it's it's easy to plug in a flanker or a wing you need we need nines we need tens it's all yeah i was just gonna say as you were probably about to allude to but those are the the positions that we're having the most trouble filling in the u.s it's like i've read articles headline can we make our own 10 or you know paraphrasing absolutely and it it's easy to find a 12 that can gain line mm-hmm. you know it's easy to find a huge thumper that will will smash up and that can make some tackles it's the skill positions it's the kicking it, it's that sort of thing um well we're never going to be a successful national team as long as we depend on washouts from other countries yeah uh you know aj mcginty yeah, just, had, yeah. <laughs> had he developed a little bit earlier, there is a 0.0% chance he would have stepped foot on American soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would have never left Ireland. Yeah, uh, and, yeah they, and, San Diego. Yeah and, I, yeah, and I guarantee you right now, Ireland is looking at AJ saying, we need to make sure this never happens again. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, whereas he's an excellent player. I mean, he's probably the best fly half we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's incredible. But... Uh, had he shown more promise at a younger age, he never would have been here. No. So, man, that's a lot. I could I could go on this for a long time. Let's just go one last on the topic. Uh, just quick answer, you know, as few words as possible. Next World Cup, which I think you're going to go to. It sounds like you've been to the last four and you're going to make it a fifth. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I will go. I, I literally time my life by World Cup cycles. <laughs> <laughs> so when you are in Australia in 2027, mm-hmm. will you be watching the USA compete? Oh, Lord, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, this this was a very, very embarrassing World Cup to be in mm-hmm. France with no USA team. Um, I... 
You know, I don't know. I, I would like to think so, but guess what? South America is coming for us. Mm-hmm. And, Goddamn, they are. I and, mean, motherfucker. And they are developing their own. Mm-hmm. You, you know, uh, I saw a, a thing about how many players on national teams had ever played for another country uh, in, or from, played a foreigner. Mm-hmm. Argentina, zero. Yeah. yeah. 100% homegrown talent and Uruguay's coming. I mean, they are not going to make our life easier. And here's, yeah, here's USA and Canada that just had to walk through all these years and now they got to work for it. Now the, the, the nice thing about competition though, it makes you better. Mm -hmm. The, the playing better teams, uh, will, will hopefully, uh, improve the overall product. Now that being said, a lot of it has to do with money too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're broke, biggest biggest union in the world, and, and we're broke. Uh, so we, we need to figure out the money situation to get the guys in to pay them the stipends. Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot to ask for someone to give up four years of their life for free. And it's you know, it just all circles back. I listened to a podcast, um, and they had a a former USA Eagle who played in the NFL very briefly and they played for Bath. He was a prop, I think. He was a, uh, or is a forward. I think yeah. he was around your age, What's maybe. I can't remember. I could look it up. Um, but anyway, in that interview, which I can't remember if it's the Good, the Bad, and the Rugby or the Rugby Pod or whatever pod I was listening to, they said there's 16 million Americans that are interested in rugby. Uh, and that alone is more than the population of England. So the untapped resource is vast. And I'll just kind of leave that point at that and try to move on to more because I could sit here and talk to you about this all the time. (laughs) Other than the random text I sent you like, hey, who's this guy? What's happening here? So just getting back to kind of the fun fun part of the interview, I I really appreciate you giving your insight on that. Um, You've been a lot of places, done a lot of things, coaching, playing both home and abroad. Maybe we can just break off a couple fun rugby stories you have, memorable ones, whether it... Yeah, no, that might be right. Eight man, I think, yeah. yeah, no, he was an eight man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan Lyle is his yeah. name. That is right. That is right. Yeah, okay. So maybe just uh, a great story. Uh, I always like to say one on, one off the pitch. For you, it could be two and two or 11 and 11, as long as you'll let us stay in your house. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think of any uh, World Cup stories that are that are truly appropriate. Uh, first World Cup I went to was in 2011 in uh, New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. Um, went with uh, Jake Emmerich and Matt Speedy and uh, Chris Geesking, mm-hmm. um, and this other joker named Cube who never played rugby. Um, who was just there to to give us a buffer from Speedy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it, it was the first time in my life I ever saw, uh, Matt Speedy break up a fight, um, not be in a fight, you mean? Not be in a fight, yeah. breaking up a fight yeah. or escalating the flight fight. And I, I walked up to Jake Emmerich in a guy's face in New Plymouth, New Zealand, and the, they were getting kind of in a heated argument and, and Jake 
points at his ear and he's like, do you think I got this fucking ear from rugby? (laughs) (laughs) And I go to his buddy. I'm like, hey, you grab your guy. I'll grab mine. And then his buddy got my face. And then we're like, okay, it's on. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to the street. And then Matt Speedy, of all people, came flying out of nowhere and calmed the whole situation down and broke it up at the literal first time ever. You know, I went to, uh, just to interject my own thought into your story, that's what all I do here. When I went to uh, <laughs> Vegas Sevens with you guys, I was uh, 21, and I was the only college kid that came with all the old boys. I met Jake Gebmerk in the airport, just how logistics went. We had a beer, met up with everyone, and later that night, Jake Emmerich, out of nowhere, just slapped me in the face, just like pretty hard, and I was pretty terrified and I paused and then I slapped him in the face equally as hard and he looked me in the eye and he said I fucking like you man (laughs) that's my Jake Emmerich story (laughs) that was the same trip that I believe uh, I walked up to you screaming at a homeless guy (laughs) on a bridge because he owned a dog and you're telling it was bad enough that he fucked up his own life but he brought the dog into it That's true. That happened. That was on the Vegas Strip. And then you gave him $5 and said, it's not for you. It's for the dog. (laughs) (laughs) That happened. That's also when... uh, Oh, man. I probably shouldn't say that. Me and... uh, (laughs) No, what's uh, Taco's brother's name? Oh. um, Tim. Tim Tim Miller. Tim Miller. We went to the parking lot during the game and then came back with ice cream, and it was the greatest day of all time. Yeah. I guess I'll sleep at that. (laughs) Anyway, back to you. So, yeah, no, New Zealand was, was definitely like every World Cup should be in New Zealand. There, there's literally no uh, – the, the whole country embraced it everywhere you went. You'd be 40 miles from nowhere, and some farmers got every flag from every country that qualified up on his on his oh, fence wow. post. And Not to mention uh, the, the footprint would be – I mean, I've never been, but it's got to be relatively easy to navigate. The country's relatively small, maybe? Um, no, it's about the size of California. Oh, okay. Um, and there's two islands. Uh, we rented a RV mm-hmm. and lived in it for a month and just drove around. And if we saw something cool, we'd stop and, and go uh, go caving or uh, whatever. Um, but then we would, you know, follow the teams in whatever town uh, USA was playing in. We would hang out there for a couple of days while their matches were going on. Then we'd go off to other matches and try to see as many as we can. England was great uh, going to actual rugby England. I got to go to the William Webb Ellis statue and touch it. I got to go to the, the pitch. What year uh, is this? This was 2015. Okay. Uh, I got to go to the pitch where supposedly the first ever rugby game was played. Mm-hmm. Who cares if it's true or not? It right. was it was yeah. cool to go and touch the grass and, and just see um, that. England was great. The, the one that really took me back was the 2019 was in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, Japan, I never had any interest in going there. It was never on my radar. It was absolutely incredible. Friendliest people you'll ever meet. Uh, we were at Kumagaya, and uh, 1,500 locals volunteered just to high-five everybody as they're walking into the game. <laughs> All of them lined up in their little hats and their little World Cup coat, just giving high-fives as you walk in. Wow. Uh, it, it was incredible. Everywhere you went was incredible. It was cool. It was great. And and this last one was in France, and you know I've I've traveled the world. I've broken bread with every race, every religion, everything, and people are people, except for the fucking French. <laughs> My God, they're weird. Um, 
yeah, it, it was it wasn't a bad World Cup by any means because right. there's no such thing. But come on, World Rugby, not not France again, please. You were able to move a little bit, weren't you? Uh, yeah, we uh, we started in the in the south of France in Nice, uh, which was really really cool. Uh, then uh, Jake and I took off to Munich for mm-hmm. a couple days and did Oktoberfest in Munich. Mm-hmm. Uh, came, and all that. yeah. Well, we leaner hosed. We we lifted beers. We sang a lot of Journey and Bon Jovi, which <laughs> I did not know was a thing. Uh, yeah, Munich Oktoberfest is a lot more Iowa State Fair than you think. It's like carnival rides and stuff going on, yeah. and then everybody at night is singing, you know, Bon Jovi and yeah, yeah, John Denver. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was still it, that was that was a cool cool experience. Went back to uh, Lyon, um, bopped over to to Switzerland for a little bit. Mm. Saw that it was that's a nice thing about just the rail system. You can move around a lot. Sure. Um, we saw a lot of games. Uh, I think we saw five matches when we were there. Uh, spread it all out. Never saw like the same team twice or anything. Um, that was really fun. Uh, it was cool. So. Um, you know, looking forward to Australia. We're going to see how that one goes uh, yeah. next. But, yeah, definitely planning on it. I think we're going to get a bigger group to go to Australia. Um, one of the – my mate that I moved to New Zealand with, uh, Jonathan Kelly, not the one Jonathan Kelly, but a different Jonathan Kelly. Okay. Uh, JK lives in Australia now, and I'm going to pay him back for every mess he ever left me to clean up at our flat. Um, and I'm going to go trash his house at, at 45 – 50 years old, you know. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. So, yeah. So, what about uh, on the field memory? I mean, I'm sure you played a lot of matches in a lot of places. Did you, like, when you were in Auckland, did you, like, kick Jonah Lamu in the face? Or did you did you ever, like, uh, double-leg Mike O'Hara and knock him out or something mm-hmm. noteworthy? <laughs> um, I got beat up a lot uh, <laughs> in New Zealand. Um, honestly, one of my favorite rugby memories is uh, when I was playing for Des Moines, we were actually playing against uh, Mizzou in St. Louis. And we were housing them. We were, we were uh, beating them pretty handily. And uh, their coach is on the sideline about the 60th minute, and the coach is just having a meltdown, which I can very much sympathize with. I've been there uh, just screaming at him. And, and finally, one of their kids turns around. He's like, what fucking game are you watching, man? We can't do anything. Uh, yeah, and then uh, right after that, they subbed out their uh, their tight head prop, and they brought in this, like, 200-pound kid with a ponytail, and, and I was locking at the point, and Casey McConville was propping in front of me, yeah. and I just put my chin on his shoulder, like, behind Casey, look at this kid, and I'm just dying laughing. <laughs> and the kid's just utterly terrified, and, uh, yeah, we, we engaged, and uh, the kid's feet went forward, and his head went down between his legs, and Something Casey up. helped him uh, uh, perform fellatio on himself. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, we went on contested scrums, <laughs> Yeah, that was an accordion action. Oh, um, yeah, no. Um, man, I, I just, when you think back, you know, over the 20-something years, I, I probably played in 250 matches, and um, all of them are great. Hmm? Yeah, no, that's true. But you want to talk about you and I? Oh shit! Yeah, so uh, thank you. <clears throat> Sorry, we had some technical issues there. So back to your traveling 
uh, for rugby, always the rugby enthusiast. You're also a very impressive supporter of the UNI Men's Rugby Club, and you were Remember recently... the inaugural Hall of Fame? It's like my forehead's a mirror, and you're speaking into the mirror, into the microphone. <laughs> no, I know. I've been hogging the mic this whole time. Well, I already did say that. I didn't mention that you're a member of the Iowa Rugby Hall of Fame. Is that correct? Did I word that right? Yes. So I'm sorry I didn't give you your flowers for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I was waiting for them. It, it's, uh, I'm pretty heartbroken about that. No, the the you and I Hall of Fame was it was kind of weird because I I truly don't feel deserving of that in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form. Most of my achievements in rugby were done away from. You and I, and yeah, I mean, I'm always back. I'm always supporting, doing something for him. But when I think of all the other guys that have played there, I'm so far below uh, every one of them. I mean, I was a, uh, a mediocre player who uh, made the most of the 20 minutes of pity A side I got, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and just kind of uh, led the B side sort of thing. I was never never the the stud player there or anything like that. I did administration work and. Um, you know, and I think a lot of that led to success in coaching because it was hard for me. I had to learn. I had to think. I had to work at it. Uh, you know, and then you, you go off and play men's club and, and, you know, you just had to play. You had to work. You had to be smarter. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the Hall of Fame is a, is a tricky thing. I've kind of had this conversation with different people about how it comes and maybe there should be a different denotion. I don't think so. Maybe just a different thought. But I do think that you are a Hall of Fame you and I member. And I you could you could tell me that you scored forty tries every game you played or that you never played a minute. But but I know that um I hold you and I rugby way too firm in my heart and when I was there I paid way too much attention to that. That's why I didn't get a degree but all my effort went into it. But you're an integral part of this of the club. You have been and always will be. So, as they say in Friday Night Lights, <laughs> Hall of Fame on my book. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, second, I don't want to suck your dick some more, but second what Nichols said. Um, you know, one of the reasons I went to you and I, I did, I knew Eric was already there, but you were a big proponent and you talked it up, you know, and I wanted to continue to play and it was one of the schools that let me in too. That helped. Um, but just... <laughs> Just how you talked it up and just meeting guys that were already there and seeing it live. And once I got there, you know, I was fully accepted and fell in love with it and getting to go to alumni weekends, riding up with just you and Emmerich and hearing all your stories, you know. And you guys really, you know, you're pretty responsible for four alumni weekend. There wouldn't really... Um, I mean, you were one of the main guys, right? No, I mean, we, I wasn't one who started. I was just... I didn't. I didn't help start the UNI uh, alumni weekend. That's uh, some other guys, um, but I've I've been to every one of them but one. One of them they did during uh, uh, the season, and it was actually my partner's birthday, and I wasn't ready to get divorced over it. So <laughs> that's the only alumni weekend I've ever missed. That's fair. But like I was just gonna say, um, you know, you're a big reason I went, and then you know, for me going, even just a small that small range of years there was a trickle-down effect because one of my best friends in high school who I had to beg and beat over the head to play high school rugby with me Grant Stefan 
and then you know he went and got brainwashed in the Marine Corps boot camp and came back. But he, I got him to go to UNI, but then he got there week one and said, "I'm not going to play rugby anymore." So then I had to beat him over the head again and get him to play rugby again. And then he came back out and loved it. And you know, if you look at like that tree, I feel like. And then another good friend of mine who played high school wasn't sure where he was going to go to college. One of the reasons he went to UNI was because of Eric and me and Grant, and that was Jeremy Newman. And just from, you know, the four of us, I feel like there was a trickle-down effect that spread, helped spread the game, not only through you and I and build that up, but, you know, through the rest of the state. So you have a lot of responsibility in that, so thank you. Yeah, I mentioned the same – I said the same thing to Jeff McHenry, so God be it to me to give you the same – uh, that's an insult <laughs> – compliment I gave Jeff McHenry, but, you know, rugby's can – infectious and all that stuff and I told Jeff McHenry from an early age you know I don't think I'm the player and have the uh F, I don't put it the rugby isn't in my life what it is now without a Jeff McHenry and I think maybe it doesn't continue in my life without a Brent Wheeler and I mean that truthfully I mean we've known each other on and off the field in a lot of different avenues and we just have a lot of respect for you and I can tell you as a I like to think of myself as a pretty in the heart of the UNI community and I I know what you're saying and it's bullshit so I love you so moving on <laughs> moving on yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I did have a buddy of mine that um, when I was going to UNI a former president and uh, what he said to me when I when I was pretty new to the t- club was leave it better than you got it mm-hmm. I've tried to do that with every every rugby experience I've had, um, and even just introducing new people to the sport. It's it's all about leaving it better. Uh, I I try to leave good imprints on the the people in the community. Um, I've I've grown it really well in my community, and and they hopefully go out and talk to other people and and help the sport grow. And that's what it's all about. Well said. Fucking is fucking a Ray. Okay, so yeah, back to back to the Borophil. So you and I uh, went down to Houston. Their impressive reign continues, and they're vying for a national championship. And I'm not going to throw this all on you to be the report, but you were there and we weren't. So you and I played Memphis their first match. I have no notes. I'm unprepared, Mm -hmm. but it was uh, you know I'll give my account. Yeah, semifinal match uh, winner advances to the national championship. You and I. Uh, ends up losing 30, 30, 34 to 28? 39 to uh, 43. 39 43. Yep. But I think, I mean, that game was a fucking cracker. It was. Seven lead changes. Seven lead changes in the game. So I was watching the game on my phone at Carver Hawkeye Arena at an Iowa wrestling meet, the one I went to. Of course, these two things corresponded. So would you mind just giving us. Just a real brief rundown of the game. Sure. Uh, it, it was a great game. The The final wasn't exactly what I wanted to see, but the it was an incredible game. Came out, uh, lost kickoff. They scored right off kickoff. Uh, right. They're up 5 to nothing uh, a minute in. Uh, 
we turned around and scored 19 straight points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, the team was flowing. Um, I, th- I thought that the floodgate was going to open really, at that really, point. You really thought this was business as usual for you and I as we've seen them. As we've seen them playing this year. Yeah. Um, and and they, they look great in all phases. Uh, and, then, uh, and then Nick Marker uh, went down. Um, when, when he got his injury – not only is there the problem of the injury, there is the problem of, you know, your mate laying on the field for 20 minutes while you're waiting for medical to, to get him to the hospital. And so just to elaborate on that, uh, Nick Marker broke his, I, I not, might not be totally right, but he broke his pelvis, his femur, and dislocated his hip and had to have two surgeries. So uh, all the love to Nick. Hope you're doing great. We've done some reaching out. Sounds like you're doing all right. But anyway. Yeah, Nick's a great player. I had him at select side. Um, good kid. Um, really, really sad to see that happen to him. Uh, that that deflated the team a lot. Uh, they kept fighting back. They they never gave up. But then it just became a seesaw of score, 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 score. Uh, uh, you know, some opportunities there. Really, I'm, I'm not here to, to, like, break down what I think should have happened or mm-hmm. decisions that were made or anything like that because, uh, honestly, I, I, you know, I don't go to practice with them. I don't right. uh, make their game plan. And uh, the, on, the only really thing that I saw with them was uh, – they were just so used to just mowing over teams, and I think they did that. They would get in a, a really good rhythm. Mm-hmm. And then when the injury happened, not only do you lose a great leader, great player, uh, but then you uh, lose your your rhythm. You lose your momentum. Um, all that kind of kind of hurt them. Uh, they fought until the end. Uh, the the lads did well. They they represented themselves well. But uh, um, you know it's sports, you, and you don't win. And injuries are a part of it. Yeah. I will say, just from what I watched of that game, uh, credit to Memphis. That team looked very tough, and I thought you and I fought very hard. You know, it's the end of a long season. Had some injury issues. Size too. I mean, Memphis are big boys. Yeah, right. Gim has a good point. Memphis was. Was very yeah big a big side. So then we move on to Sunday. We play the uh, consolation game for fourth place. I think um, you know it's the whole like who gives a shit kind of thing. Do you try to win? Do you try to put everything you can to win? I mean, obviously, or do you take the opportunity to put extra guys in? I have I have no input on that. I just the consolation game as a I'm only saying this from my perspective as a former player. You know like. Maybe you're hungover. I don't know. So you and I plays Vermont the Sunday after. Um, no hangovers that I knew of. I, right. I think the, right. the the lads were pretty good uh, that night. Um, uh, in true college rugby fashion, the game was delayed because uh, you and I's bus driver went to get lunch and left in the bus with the jerseys. <laughs> um, so. You warm up thinking you're going to go out and play, and then all of a sudden you're not playing. Um, had to wait until the the jerseys showed up. I think that killed their momentum. They were down five starters in that match. A mm-hmm. uh, lot of injuries, a lot of injuries. Uh, you know, Noah goes to see Nick in the hospital and says, oh, my, my face just won't quit hurting. He goes and gets an x-ray. He's got a broken orbital bone. Right. Um, you know, you got other guys that are they, – they were walking wounded after that Memphis match. Gentry stack starting 10, I think, 
started that game and left very shortly after with a broken rib. A, yeah, a correctly diagnosed broken rib. So you've got your your ten down and among other things. Yeah, um, and uh, came out and just didn't look good. But to their credit, they they did make a game of it in this in the second half. Yeah, uh, they really did fight back. There was really really strong wind. Um, you know, one of the symptoms of beating everyone in your conference by 100 points, you never kick the ball. <laughs> um, and, and you never learn to kick the ball, really, because you don't have to. Right. It's not a necessity. Uh, it, it, uh, I think there were some some opportunities at the second game. Given, I'm not here to judge them. The, the boys played well. Um, that, that's a lot of adversity to overcome. I don't, I don't care what club you are if you're playing without five starters that – that's just hurts and that no team made it to the final four by being a bad team right. or being mediocre or whatever. Every team there was, was really good. Um, you know, Memphis didn't end up winning it. Uh, I, I thought for sure they were going to walk away with it. They had two yellow cards at about the 60 minute yep. at the same time. Um, <laughs> you're not going to win a game that way, yeah. you know, playing down two guys. Uh, it, it is what it is. The, the, the lads played really well. They really they've got a lot of players coming back. I think the I think future looks bright. Be nice to get them playing a couple of uh, higher end matches. There's there's another uh, pretty good uh, college team in Iowa, um, Iowa State. They should be playing every year, yes. um, and and that would improve both clubs, win or lose. It, it would improve yeah. improve both clubs. Um, we need to we need to see what we can do about getting that to happen. Yeah, I do think uh, you know taking positives from it. A lot of injuries is extremely unfortunate. It's a good take out of Brent Wheeler. I do like the fact that if we have to, so we take the W, but at least we had an opportunity for guys that maybe weren't going to play in that game to play. So that's going to look good. That's going to be good looking forward, moving forward. I, uh, You and I did play a couple uh, – I don't even know what division they are. I'm not going to lie to you. But they played D2. D- D2. So yep. they played they played Colorado State and Oklahoma, and they played that they crossover played tournament. tournament. to start the season, yes. but then they had to play their conference. No, right, right, right. And they, that, that's non-negotiable. Yeah, to, and that's – And that's where – That's where it gets tough. That's, well, where, that's where they were just killing teams. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. – So – I think they do a good job with. I don't know. I just it's hard for me to sit here and just not just cake them with compliments. But I think that they had a lot of adversity to overcome. They should be proud of their season. It didn't end the way that we would prefer. But on to the next one. I mean, yeah. if, if you're looking for a biased opinion, you got the wrong three <laughs> fucking guys. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's basically yeah. you and I rugby podcast. Absolutely, <laughs> and, and you know nothing. I'm not going to say a bad word. They're they're you know, Zeus has got some really good things going on there. He's going to keep it going. Mm-hmm. He's doing well. He's working his butt off. Um, yeah, yeah, Randall was a great pickup for us. And man, how about fucking in the? I think it was the Memphis game. Uh, David 
scrum pick off yeah. pick off the ruck to score. That's fucking Joe Randall written all over it. <laughs> uh, if you look right after the score, they show the uh, the crowd and Jay Johns is jumping up and down. He turns around. I tried to high five him and he wouldn't high five me because I was sitting down pouting because we were down two tries with three minutes left. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was that try. <laughs> that okay. was the try where we came. Well, we came back within like scoring thing, but I was still pouting yeah. and Jay's like, get up. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah. Well, cheers. You know, and like always, cheers to Iowa and Iowa State. You guys had great seasons, but yeah. fucking here we go, you Central, and I. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. Central. So I think we'll probably uh, wrap this up. Brent, we really appreciate you letting us come into our house. Um, I'm happy that we didn't tell the uh, drunken alumni weekend story where I fell asleep on the... Uh, Pile of Chinese food. On the pile of Chinese food in the yeah. bottom of the, on the floor of the hotel room, but that's all right. <laughs> I think we just did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's about seven hours of lead into it. Yeah. But anyway, um, as we alluded to, I've always appreciated your friendship, your knowledge of rugby, your willingness to help. You've always been a good ambassador of the game. And we're just, you know, it's a pleasure to know you, to be a friend, and to have you on the pod. You know, I want to echo everything Eric just said. Um, Brent, known you for a long time, been been good friends with my brother Casey for a long time, so I got to see you uh, quite often. I believe one time when I was a junior in high school, uh, you told me you were faster than me and could beat me in a race, and you were going to bet me $200 cash, and, uh, and I think Casey wouldn't let me do that, so we got down to 100 And then if I lost, I had to mow your yard all summer, so we raced. We had a foot race in the strip mall on West Des Moines uh, by the old chicken coop. <laughs> I believe I won that race, but you know, that's okay. You you were hurt. you played a match that day. I don't, I don't remember that. Um, I, I have no he recollection. Of that. That's fine. My friends are happy about some ice cream later. It was a good night. I haven't won many races since uh, since high school, so. It's okay. That's how I got my nickname, you know. I'm very fast in short distances. So, uh no, but seriously, uh, you know, I owe a lot of my rugby career to you, and I appreciate it, and everything you've done, and you just coming on here, you know, really helps a lot for us. We're just some knuckleheads banging around, but besides just shooting the shit, part of this is growing the game and getting more ears listening and get more people interested in rugby so it can just, you know, we can keep supporting all the teams around the state because that's all we can do is just contribute how we can, and this new age uh, – new new fangle technology and whatnot it's a good way to do it so do you have any uh final thoughts or wisdom no i mean thanks for having me on thanks for uh for the ass kissing i, I you know my ego definitely needs fed on a regular basis uh, no no i i i you know i appreciate everything that's said but yeah just just be an advocate for the game go out and and talk to people try to get people to play uh yeah be be a be a good voice for it, you know. So perfect. Yeah. Thank right. you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Love you. Are we just are we gonna do the thing? I think we can't do the thing about the boys. All right. Well. Break. Okay. Fuck you all. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> And now let's take a break to hear from one of our sponsors. Convergence Acquisitions LLC is an organization dedicated to providing their creditor partners with a compliance solution for accounts receivable portfolio sales 
and servicing they enable for their clients to focus on their core business and provide them with a reliable partner they can count on to acquire distressed portfolios. Through over 30 years of accounts receivable management experience, they have developed processes and procedures to recover account portfolios while exceeding compliance expectations. They have partnered with well-respected law firms and other recovery vendors to create an ideal solution for their partners. Convergence Acquisitions evaluates and acquires portfolios including credit card, retail card, consumer loans, auto loans, draft deposit accounts, EMS services, and more. For more information on selling portfolios to use, please contact our business development team at 855-200-6096 or via email at acquisitions at convergenceacquisitions.com. Great stuff by those guys there. Awesome interview with Cope. Really bummed. Phil and I weren't able to be there. Cope's one of those guys that we've wanted to get on the show for a long time just because his history and everything he's done in rugby in Iowa for high school kids, for the sport in general. I mean, he set the bar pretty high. And so congratulations to him on a fantastic coaching career, something all programs and coaches are going to be aspiring to, to get to that level, to get their programs there. And again, just really set us up for success. So congrats, Cope. Thank you for coming on. Hope to have him on again soon uh, because I have a ton of questions after listening to that that I want to dive into and, and pick his brain and sound like the boys had a good time. And so if you want to get involved in coaching, this spring, the boys season, looks like it's going to see some growth. I uh, heard a lot of people want to be starting new clubs. I'm hearing some things out of North Polk, Boone, Butler County. Uh, hopefully we see some announcements coming soon. Cedar Rapids is going to have some movement. But if you're wondering like, hey, how do I start a club? What do I do? What's that first step? Iowa State is hosting a coaching clinic. Checklist to championships is their motto. It'll be at Weeks Middle School on January 20th from noon to 4 p.m. Basically, they're going to have four keynote speakers talking to you about how do you start a club? How do you run a club? Basically, all the stuff off the field. And then they'll give you some X's and O's about how to prep kids for college and things like that. But the main idea is how do you create a sustainable high school program? So that's January 20th. Go to Iowa State Rugby's Facebook page, Instagram, sign up, let them know you're coming. It'll be a great time. I mean, you can pick the brain of sevens coaches. Iowa State won a national title just a year ago. They're competing for nationals consistently in sevens and fifteens. Uh, you're going to have Brad Lewis, coach of Bondurant, who's created a fantastic program there. Jordan Sanderson, who's played at a high level for Des Moines Rugby, helping coach at Ankeny Rugby. Uh, just a fantastic crew of people. Then, if you want to get certified to become a coach, on Saturday, February 17th, USA Rugby is hosting a coaching clinic at Weeks Middle School on February 17th. Sign up on Rugby Explorer. Then the next day, same location, Weeks Middle School. USA Rugby is coming down for an L1 Rugby Referee Certification course. So if you want to become a rugby referee or a rugby coach, go to Rugby Explorer. And then in Des Moines, Iowa, Weeks Middle School, Saturday, February 17th, and Sunday, February 18th, there will be two courses to get certified for both. So if you want to be a part of growth, if you want to help grow the game, if you're serious about that, we hear a lot of people talking about they want to give back, this is where you start. So get signed up on Rugby Explorer. Make it happen. Also in Iowa Rugby, the Iowa Rugby AGM took place. Bryant Reynolds is our new union president for Iowa Rugby Union. 
Uh, he's from Des Moines Rugby Club. I am the vice president, Brian Gray. And then Julie Simile will retain as the secretary. And Jim Glepsby is going to retain as the treasurer. And Bill Scallon is going to be our new discipline chair. Then Phil Shateshka is going to be our college rep. So he'll be checking in with college programs from the union side. And then also we created these new committees to make sure things are on track. So we have a committee of about five to six people for women's rugby, a committee for sevens, a committee for all Iowa, a committee for this ambassadors league. And we have a committee for select site as well. So a lot of things happening. 2024 is going to be a fantastic year for high school rugby, college rugby, men's rugby, women's rugby, all levels of rugby. We're making things happen. You have the select side, all-stars, the Midwest Barbarians are heading down to Austin, Texas soon. Uh, Just great things happening. So again, we had a fantastic 2023. Thank you again, everyone, for being a part of it, supporting the show, supporting rugby, making it happen. Uh, We look forward to what's going to happen in 2024, and we can't wait to share that with you. We will be back January 31st. Let us know if you have any recommendations, any people you want to hear from. If you want to be on the show, let us know. I know we have a a backlog of a lot of people who want to talk to us and share some stories, and we're going to get to you. Just keep sending us stuff. We're happy to be a part of it. We're happy to have you here. And uh, yeah, cheers, everybody. Have a great and happy New Year's, and we'll see you in 2024. Cheers. Cheers.